0: Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast with me, Pete Odgers coming up we'll be looking back on the Hamburg final which was won by the Georgian Nicholas Vasilashvili plus we'll be looking ahead to the US hardcourt season whilst hearing from Jim Courier and Mackenzie McDonald. and stick around to the end to find out and hear from who the latest Hall of Fame inductee is that's all coming up on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast Well I'm here with Mars McClacken and we've just watched the final of the Hamburg tournament uh, the German tennis championships it was a final i think pre-tournament not too many would have predicted Nicholas Basilashvili against Leonardo Mayer although Mayer was looking to defend his title and looking for a third title in Hamburg but it was Nicholas Basilashvili who came out on top what did you make of the final
1: well, it was a it was a match of uh, of mixed fortunes. It was uh, Maya who had the opportunities early on, u- unable to capitalise, and uh, we wondered what direction it would go from there. Basilevchuk did nab that first set, but then really fell away. A quick a quick set for Maya, six love, but then it really started to boil midway through that uh, third set. The quality was very very high, both men raising their game. It had been uh, hot conditions all week, suiting them both, and well, it was Basilevchuk came out on top in the end, he really played some high, high-quality tennis, showed his speed, and particularly that power on the forehand wing. Yeah, well,
0: what was it, do you think, that got him the victory? Because it was a match that, that that changed momentum a few times in terms of the emotional side of the sport, but also tactically, there were some chess moves, weren't there? Because Basilevili rocked it out of the blocks. Then you had Meyer start to vary the spins and speeds of the ball and play quite quite cleverly using the drop shot. But Basilevili was able to react to that in the third set.
1: Yes, and perhaps Maya just went went to the, the slice backhand, the drop shots a little too often. That Basilevichvili got what was became prepared for that, and uh, it, w- it was nice to see the tactics vary and change throughout the match, and to, to know that the players were thinking. But you know, right from the start, Basilevichvili was was very committed to his game style, which was the power. That the, that's the way he had played all week. He had he had powered his way through the tournament with some with some good wins. Um, you know, o- overcoming some good players on the. Away. So I think he, he was very settled in, in his own style of play. He knew what he was—he uh, um, knew what he was trying to do out there, and, uh, and stuck with it. There were some nerves at the end of the match, but uh, again, I think you know there wasn't a huge amount of celebration. I think there was, there was just relief that he got over the line.
0: And we were fortunate enough to commentate on the match—a match that Basselashvili won 6-4, love 6-7, 5. Second match in a row that Basselashvili has dropped a, a second set. By that scoreline, six love, and yet still going on to win the match—is that a good thing or a bad thing,
1: Miles? Oh, it's a good thing when you come out on top. Isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, I, I think uh, you know he, he talked about um, afterwards how exhausted he was. He'd come through quality, so he'd played seven matches, and and conditions were were tough that week. He'd had uh, you know the temperatures were up in the high twenties, and you know it gets it gets humid in Europe when it's when it's that uh, when it's that hot. It takes it takes it out of you, and, and and perhaps just a little bit of you know energy conservation, physical and mental, which was what what was needed, and you know he clearly in the. final. To let that, uh, you know, middle of the second set, he—I uh, think his mind had moved towards the third set. He was—he was readying himself for that, and it worked out.
0: Not always easy to do, though, to get yourself going, <laughs> and, and it seemed like he was. Also, conserving energy at the end, because even when he won the match, he didn't want those jaw muscles to move. It, there no. was, it was tough <laughs> to get a smile of him. Even when he lifted the trophy, he'd seen pretty much sort of poker face throughout, whereas Leonardo Meyer was smiling away and spraying champagne over his
2: opponent.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I think he perhaps had a bet that he wasn't going to let a smile out, and finally <laughs> lost that bet when he got sprayed with champagne by, uh, let's say, Leonardo Meyer who was enjoying in, in the, the, the spirit of things, who was... Of course, disappointed with with his uh, with the way that it went today, but I think all in all was satisfied with with his week. But Basilevskiy, yes, he certainly kept the the delight and the joy to himself.
0: I mean, we talked before the match about Basilevskiy and before, prior to this week, never been inside the world's top fifty. Fifty-one was his highest ranking. He was eighty-one coming into the tournament, hence why he had to qualify. He's now going to be ranked as high as well. We think around thirty-five in the world that's a huge jump for him of course his first ever title and uh, first Georgian national to do that there has been other players from from Tbilisi to to go and win it but they're representing the Soviet Union so I mean this is a big big step in his career for Basilevili but we were saying before the start of the match that we're a little surprised that perhaps he hadn't broken into the world's top 50 because he's got some power
1: hasn't he oh he's, he's, he had a lot of power on both wings uh, the the surf he could generate as well and and quick as well at times when he's made made to 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 move defensively by 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 Leonardo Mayer he was you know was able to not not just get the ball back in play but counteract a huge amount of spin on that four, and at times getting it dipping in and you know pretty solid off off the backhand wing but i think you know he is a player that you know we saw in in those particular last two matches where the form went up and down that you know hadn't Maybe had the consistency, but now perhaps um, with some confidence with, with a little bit of extra belief with clearly uh, was content in his game style those are very powerful things that to which can help you put out more regular and consistent performances and if he does at the level he played at times wouldn't be surprised to see him holding up another trophy
0: well that was going to be my next question was if you were his coach right now, what is the next step? I mean, of course, a bit of rest in terms of, yeah. you know, the immediate future. But he's now working with Yander Wit Witt, who seems to have had a great, you know, influence already on his game. But what would be your advice over the next few weeks for him? I mean, because it's, it's a big achievement. It's almost monumental when you compare it to what he's achieved so far in his game. How do you sort of keep a player... Uplifted, but also managed the expectations.
1: Well, well, that's it. Now, I think you know, Yan. Yan has been around the tour for a long time. Worked with uh, a lot of top players, um, amongst them Gilles Simon, Gail Monfils, uh, to, to name just a few. And Yan started working. He does a lot of analysis um, and, and works on you know the right places to hit the ball. So, you know, that clearly seems to be working for the moment. It, it's obviously got to uh, transfer onto the hard courts because that's where we're going to move now. After this sort of brief clay court stint and you know the, the, for the player of the, the discipline to to stick with what's been working and you know and as you you said it's it's not to get too carried away that's the, the brutal thing about sport it's there's always another week and that week doesn't care what happened last week it's up to you to take that confidence but you got to start all over again
0: but for now let's re-enjoy the moment that nicholas basilashvili made a little bit of history for himself He's ready again to serve already. Championship point again then for Baselashvili, now it's a forehand down the middle of the court. Meyer goes long with a forehand and Nicolas Baselashvili wins his first ever ATP World Tour title and he's done it at the German Tennis Championships. A 500 series event, a tournament that has been won by the likes of Rod Laver, Stefan Edberg Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and now Nicolas Basilashvili. He has defeated Leonardo Mayer, 6-4, Love6, 7-5 in 2 hours and 12 minutes.
1: Uh, I mean, what a match today. I'm extremely tired. I played seven matches. Um, I literally gave on every match my heart. Uh, I, I've been, uh, I'm pretty sure every player really worked. So hard for this, but uh, uh, I mean, I, 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 uh, it's an unbelievable moment for me. Um, also, I would like to take a chance and congrats to Leo for, for the finals. Uh, I w- it was an extremely close match, um, and uh, I think I in, some, some, in some point I got lucky. and um, uh, So, I mean, uh, good luck for you. <laughs>
0: So, Baselashvili, the winner in Hamburg on the clay, but now the ATP World Tour turns to the U.S. hard-court swing. And, of course, starting tomorrow, Monday, that is, in Washington, the city open. And not only does the tournament start, but a whole load of new initiatives come in. They're not that new, though, because a lot of them, of course, have been trialed in Milan. And they're bringing in the, the shot clock. 25 seconds that will be seen by the fans and by the players as well as the umpire. That'll be managed by the umpire. But prior to that, they're going to have a minute where the last person walks onto the court and they have to then be at the coin toss and ready for the coin toss. They won't receive any point penalties or anything like that, but they could receive a match fine. That's from the the chair umpire. After that, they then have five minutes from the coin toss to be sat down on the in their chairs ready and again could receive a match fine if they're late with that then they'll have another minute after that where they will have to be ready either serving or in position to return what do you make of those changes or or those those rules being implemented and the fact that we're going to see shot clocks and things like that and everyone's going to be a little more aware of how much time is going to be had in between the points
1: I think it's great. Um, I, I think that you know, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about this, and, and and talk about doing away with a warm-up, which I don't agree with. I think let's try and let's implement the rules before we start changing the rules. Let's give them a go. And I think um, you know, it's been uh, was done in Australia, if I'm if I'm correct, and uh, in the qualifying, I think that, and, and it and it worked well. And and players players often don't like change, but they do get used to reasonable changes pretty quickly. And I think uh, you know it's just a matter often of, of just coming out onto court a little bit more prepared. Get your get your bottles ready. Get your sweatbands on. You don't have to do that when when you get out there. I still think we need a warm up in the sport because it's all very well in a final. You know what time potentially you could warm up on an outside court, but a lot of times players are waiting for a long time, and you know. People in the media—they want a little bit of time to talk, build up a match, introduce the players. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to it, and I think if it's done with the shot clock, it takes at least some—not all of the—of the of the, uh, the human element out of it, because we, you know, it's understandable that some players get a little bit more uh, uh, leeway than others.
0: Yeah, and just to explain that shot clock for those that don't know. Of course, for those of us that were at the ATP Next Gen Finals, or at least following that tournament. How that is implemented is that it is down to the chair umpire at their discretion so if you play a phenomenal point if it's a a 40 shot rally the umpire can wait for the crowd to be quiet before that shot if the shot clock is started so it's once everyone is quiet then it can start so that also gives the players a little more leeway the only thing i would say though in relation to the atp next gen finals we saw a lot of players struggling with cramp and the stresses of seeing the shot clock so do you feel that we could be going into a bit of a... I mean, the players surely have enough stress on their shoulders as it is. Is it not a little dangerous to, to then put even more on them?
1: Well, I think that they'll get used to it. And, um, you know, whether that uh, whether the cramp was the stress of that, I can't, or if it was just a slightly different... Uh, physical uh, system that was that was used by the players because you know you can train for short bursts but with a certain amount of rest and and, and whether that'll adjust I don't think that's um, you know I, I think we, we're looking for a little bit of we don't want place to cramp but we're looking for drama and, and perhaps you know some of these longer matches that are that that are incredible quality we'll start to see gaps open up uh, more more often and uh, it's you know, we we can we can adjust to that as it goes. But I think the players will will get used to that. I mean, they, these are you know maybe I'm biased, but some of the the best athletes on the planet. So they they will get there, find their way around it.
0: And the interesting thing that happened at the ATP Next Gen Finals as well, with with the shot clock in particular, was they actually I think some of them realised they have a lot more time than they yeah. realised. They were in position and then thinking, well, actually, they were rushing initially and then slowed down. But as you say, it's a transition. It's getting mm. these. Uh, and they have been used at sort of, you know, examples and exhibitions first. But this is the first time where it's come into proper tournament play with, with you know, points on the line and everything like that. But um, we are looking to try and make the sport more watchable. And, and I think, uh, would you like to see anything go further on that point in terms of, I mean, we've brought the minute in once the last player comes onto the court. But a lot of the times from a broadcast point of view, sometimes you think, oh, right, the, the players will be on court in five minutes time and you can be waiting 20 minutes, which, of course, is not good when you've got people's fans sat at home switching TV channels and you still don't see players coming out. Is there anything you'd like to, to well,
1: see Well, I think that, that should take care of that, really, shouldn't it? I mean, so it's all in all, you've got seven minutes from being, from being called out to, to match starting, which is, which is, you know, don't imagine it's going to happen any quicker than that. So I think that, um, you know, that, that takes care of it initially. I'm looking forward to seeing how it works out. But I think it's a great start.
0: Okay. Uh, any other any other rules? I'd get rid of the let immediately. I hate Off the, the serve obviously. Yes,
1: off off the serve. Uh, and and the ball one ball toss that's my two that I'd still like to see. I mean the point starts and which fits in with a shot clock when you throw that ball up the point starts and you if you don't hit it that's your problem it's a it's a you know you can run around in, Hitting forehands and backhands. If you can't put the ball toss in the right place, that's something you got to work on.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Then touch tennis. Do you play a bit of touch tennis ever?
1: I, I don't. They no. have
0: that rule there, which okay. which is actually even tougher because it's outside with sponge balls. So right. you can get a gust of wind <laughs> and suddenly you're hitting a ball by your hip rather than, than up above your head. Should be interesting though. Should be very interesting. Yeah, to looking see forward that, to seeing how it works that out. That come in. Of course, looking to the tennis rather than the rule changes. Who are you expecting to do well? It's, it's a fascinating landscape now, isn't it? Of course, Djokovic looks like he's back. Well, certainly he is back. He's just won Wimbledon. You've got Nadal, who played very well at Wimbledon. How will he, how will he feel on the hard courts? No Roger Federer at the Rogers Cup, but uh, how will he react to, to losing at, at his home of the, uh, <laughs> the All-England club? And, of course, the likes of John Isner playing very well. Andy Murray coming back from injury. There's a few of the next-gen who slightly flattered to deceive, in the majors so far, but do you feel one of them is due a run to then perhaps get themselves ready for the US Open? So many questions there, Miles. What are your predictions well, going into
1: Well, I, I think, let's um, start with Djokovic. It's good to see him back and some of the tennis he's played, and we, we've all seen him at different points. We've been fortunate to see quite a lot of them. It's, it's no surprise to me. It's been coming for uh, certainly over the clay court season. The, uh, the 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 quality he played, a couple of good matches with Nishikori, pushed Nadal in in Rome and then and then Queens. I mean, he had the match point, played some some great tennis, and the the, the ball striking, the the athleticism was there. So I think um, you know I probably put him as the top dog on this hard court season. Um, it's you know it's only. Uh, he came out on top on the grass. I, I think it, it favours him. And, and, and other than that, it, it's kind of hard to pick. We've got, um, of course, Murray c- coming back, uh, and, and we've got Zverev starting again. That that run that he, you know, had a had a run in uh, in Washington, went on to. To, to win in, well, it was Montreal last year. It's going to be Toronto. So, you know, he's number three in the world, playing some some great, great tennis, had a, had some time off after what was a brutal and excellent clay court season. Um, and Nadal playing some good tennis. So there's a few in the mix. Shapovalov, well, uh, this is when he first came to people's attention, uh, just, just under 12 months ago. So he's going to start feeling a, a, a different pressure of, uh, you know, backing up some points um and and still we'll see if he can play w- w- with that sort of freedom and and the last name you mentioned isn't there i mean he's he's had a great year he got that 1000 win under his belt i always feel that he's a player that uh, it's very easy to throw this statement around but i think he should be in the top 10 i mean he is so difficult to beat um he doesn't need to play his best tennis and you cannot afford to relax for a minute and um Perhaps with that, uh, uh, with a good run at Wimbledon, that's some, you know, some real confidence in a Grand Slam. That that win in Indian Wells, perhaps he's just his game settling into place, and he he's a real threat.
0: Anyone under the radar, and it just throw in one name that you know we had Basilashvili just win Hamburg. So is there a one player that you think? Oh, I'm not saying you suggest they're going to win one of these three tournaments in the U.S. Open series, but do you think someone could possibly go deep that we're not perhaps expecting and we're not talking
1: about? Well, that's a big. Uh, I mean, looking to 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 some of the young guns, and i um, it's not particularly under the radar. But Del Potra coming to to his uh, <laughs> not allowing that. <laughs> no. Well, he's. Kind of, well, I mean, some name we should mention coming yes. to his favorite part of the season, uh, and also built up some some real. Uh, you know momentum as well he's look, starting to look look good again i'm just going to have a quick scan through the rankings because you're sort of th- throwing a yeah. throwing a
0: curveball out you have <laughs> i mean any of the next genus in particular of course you know the Zverev, the Zverev and shapoval of the obvious one I, I like what you had to say about about chapeau and having to defend the, those points and that's the, a new experience for him but anyone there that you feel well, may...
1: i mean, some of them are moving out of it now. But um, you know, Sitsipas, I must admit, has come through a little quicker than I than, than I thought he would. Chung coming back from from some time out, I think he's he's going to uh, need need a few matches. But uh, you know, some of those the younger guys, Tifo got his first tournament un- under. So may- maybe a run from France TFO Tifo in this uh,
0: U.S. Hard court so. season. Well, they've certainly got a, a number of players. Well, as we've been saying, next week sees the U.S. hard-court season begin as Washington takes centre stage with this young man looking to defend his title.
3: He serves down the centre. The backhand return
0: is good from Anderson, but the cross-court backhand from Sverev has the South African stretching. Anderson in this
3: rally, though, a good big hard-hit cross-court forehand, but he's missed the backhand, and Sverev's won the title. His arm's in the air. Sverev jogs. Six-four. To the net so energetically
0: it's as if this final's taken nothing out of him at all he's won it 6-4-6-4 six, four, six, four for his fourth title of the year only nadal and federer are in that kind of league in 2017. an hour and eight minutes is all it took he waves to the crowd applauds the clap the crowd's involvement Hans has won it and he's won it at a canter. So that was one man that we didn't really talk about too much coming into the US Open Series. So can the German win again round three, likely to possibly play his brother?
1: <laughs> well, he, he can. He's a, he's a quality player. He might, uh, I think they, they were, Close to a matchup uh, earlier in the year, but it didn't quite come about. But you know, he's quality, and I think the, the confidence he would have gained from that uh, that, that clay court run, the matches he played, and, and a pretty solid run again, a, a slightly head scratching end to his Wimbledon campaign, uh, going down very quickly in that fifth set against Ernest Goulbus. But I think uh, you know, he, he's definitely taken a, a, another step backing up those matches. Uh, week after week on, in the clay, so uh, you know, someone who's not afraid of winning got a big game, worked hard, yes he can win.
0: And are we over-egging his troubles in the slams?
1: I, th- I think so. I, um, I think it's um, I will admit it's a, a little puzzling this time how he went away so quickly, but you know, l- last year he had some had some tough draws, he lost to Roundich, lost to Videsco, lost to Nadal um, but, a, you know, the, a great run at Roland Garros this year, and um, and a solid run at Wimbledon after a, a very tiring season. So I think you know, he'll get over that hurdle and uh, I, I don't see it as a, as a problem at the moment. And
0: so as already mentioned, he's also got the defense of the Rogers Cup title that he won last year. So how much pressure will be on him right now with that? Or do you just feel what you've already said in terms of what he produced at the clay court swing? He kind of answered those problems being the, you know, the def- nearly defending his title in Rome, doing what he did in Madrid. Are you, are you feeling that he's kind of answered those pressures that he can deal with the pressure in Masters events?
1: I think so. He's uh... You know, it's obviously, again, coming around to a new year and, and there's a big chunk of points. But I, I don't think, you know, these guys at the top of the game, I don't think they worry about that too much. I think he knows that it's if it's not next week, it's going to be the week after or the week after that. Plus, he has that comfort blanket of with the US Open because he didn't do that well. He lost to charge uh, early on that he can make a whole heap of points there. So I, I don't think the top players worry about those uh, those points too much.
0: It is a unique juxtaposition though for Zverev to be in, isn't it? In terms of the fact that he's shown the ability to be able to defend a lot of points in Masters Tournament Tennis, something that really only the top four or, or the big four or five have been able to do over the last 10, 15 years, but yet still continues to struggle in the slams. It is something almost that we haven't seen, so to speak. You know, he looks so much like someone who should be going to the back end of slams time and time again when he's in the Masters tournaments, but yet not so in the slabs.
1: It's not, not yet so far, although as you said, that that run at Roland Garros was was pretty impressive, and um, you know quarterfinal there off, and when he was exhausted as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went through a couple of five setters, and you know as we touched on, I think you know Roland Garros the year before he had just won Rome, so he was dealing with uh, you know the highs of that, then coming against a, a difficult opponent, lost to Nadal, I think it was, in um, in Australia, I mean that can happen to anybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> roundage on the grass. So I think you know it's per- possibly a few things have, have added up. As I said, it's, you know, a, a little surprising the way he, he went away against Chung and against uh, Gulbis at Wimbledon this year, but it, it, you know, f- in the fifth set. But, you know, that's his fitness. I think he proved his fitness over the clay court season. It was remarkable what he did. I mean, he looked at how he kept going through the draw in Rome, having uh, won two tournaments back-to-back, I think proves that. And it'll just take, you know, he needs one... Well, he made the quarterfinal. Maybe he needs one step further and we can stop talking about this. Yes, yes.
0: And it was an incredible quarterfinal to reach as well, as you say, all those matches he won. And he will be the top seed in Washington. And there's also some tasty draws perhaps happening early on in that tournament. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves because you can never do that in tennis. You never know what is quite round the corner. But possible round two encounters. Stan versus Kane Ishikori. And Kyle versus Andy Murray could be a second-round encounter again. Having of course met in Eastbourne,
1: that, that is interesting. Of course, he's, he's still got to still got get there, Andy. Let's not uh, let's not write anybody off. But that would be a you know a test for I think a test for both of them. Not easy for Kyle because of those the British number one. I wonder if he uh, you know if he truly th- sees it that way. Um, uh, and, and for Andy, you know, backing up uh, if he was to beat uh, Mackenzie McDonald, then having to back that up against a you know player who's shown a lot of form and, and tough, it, uh, you know a test for his body. I think I think he's still feeling that out, as you know, as he said himself, it's played three matches or so in the last year. So you know, he's every time he steps on court, it's going a little bit into a, a, an unknown area.
0: It's it's funny, isn't it? As in, we we're sort of saying right names for the U.S. Open Series and didn't even mention Stan Wawrinka or Kenichi Kory, which just shows you how healthy tennis is right now the fact we've got all these young guns coming through we've got the old
1: guys still that's because you wouldn't let me you the were top. asking for <laughs> names out of left field
0: <laughs> you said Del Potro which was just a, you know anyway moving on but,
1: that, but that's again the point I don't think I don't know if many names can come because there are a lot of good mm. guys you know you've got you know, Federer's having a great year, Nadal, Djokovic, um, Del Potro's playing well. I think Nishikori's played, I mean, watched some of his up matches up close at Wimbledon. He played some phenomenal tennis, a couple of, you know, great match against Djokovic. He, he, he's back. Um, so, you know, it's gonna be tough for, you know, someone to come through out of left field there.
0: So, we mentioned Carl Edmund versus Andy Murray. And of course, Andy Murray, he's attempting to come back again having missed Wimbledon and decided that his hip wasn't quite ready the little tennis that you've seen of him how ready do you think he is for this hard court swing
1: well he'll have done a lot of work and I'm always I'm always reluctant to to you know bet against a, one of the greats of his game but I think it need to be realistic that you know the skills won't have gone uh, the hand skills, the sh- the shots, but it's it is going to be about backing the matches up, and, and you know if you, you get a tough three setter, how do you feel the next day? Are you stiff and sore? Is that, uh, which I don't think he even knows at the moment. So I'd, you know, I'd really be be guessing at it. Um, but but you know, one or two matches under his belt, and you start, you know, he's in a tight situation. You you you'd still back someone who's achieved what he has
0: from a biased British perspective. Wouldn't it be nice? uh, Well, and also just from a tennis-loving perspective, wouldn't it be great for him to? I think people should write him off because uh, they 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 wrote off Nadal, they wrote off Federer, (laughs) they wrote off a few times. (laughs) And and, you know, Djokovic had his moment at Wimbledon where people were saying maybe he's not going to get back. He looks a shadow of him former self. And Nadal, of course, we were saying that a couple of years ago. Federer, the same thing. So, write off Andy Murray, and uh, and I think he will just love to prove everyone wrong.
1: Well, and particularly Murray, because yes, that will fuel him uh as much as anything proving proving people wrong
0: well andy will be facing one of the rising stars on the circuit in round one at washington and his opponent comes in the form of american
4: mackenzie mcdonald i'm mackie mcdonald i'm 23 years old and i'm from the usa In the Bay Area. The base uh, holds a special place in my heart. It's my home, it's where I'm from, and I hope to, you know, reside there one day again. I grew up playing tennis since the age of three. My dad got me involved from the start in Alameda at the Harbor Bay Club, and then I transferred over to the Claremont Hotel with Rosie Baris. I started working with Wayne Ferreira from a young age, and he helped me develop uh, into a good junior player before I went off to college. I played at UCLA for three years, I think uh, playing there really developed me as a professional tennis player. I think I got a lot better there and got an education at the same time and it's definitely helped me to get to where I am today. It's really exciting that college tennis players can become good professional tennis players. I feel like I have a good all-around game style, be aggressive, I think I move really well and return well. So I think I have a lot of weapons on the court growing up. I've looked up to a lot of professional tennis players like Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, and guys like that I can't really uh, model my game after. So I've looked into Kaney Shikori and guys like uh, David Goffan to model my game after. I won Fairfield and Seoul uh, Challengers not too long ago and those have really helped me uh, flourish my game and it's given me confidence winning on the Challenger Tour to now transition to the ATP Tour. I think it's a valuable step that can't be skipped and uh, I think I've, I've worked my way through the system. For me it's a huge accomplishment breaking into the top 100 coming up after this tournament. It's always been a huge goal of mine and it was one of my uh, main goals for the end of this year, but to do it halfway through the year and uh, is pretty unbelievable and I think I can finish the year really strong. There's a lot of Americans on tour right now, given Taylor Fritz, Francis, uh, Riley, Mitchell Kruger, Noah Rubin, a lot of guys. So it's really fun to be on tour at this time and uh, have some American guys I can hang out with. So transferring from
0: the Challengers to the main tour, it's a vital step to win on the Challenger Tour in order to transition. But how tough is that transition and how tough is it to win on the Challenger Tour in the first place?
1: You, you need to be a good player. There's sometimes you watch the watch the level and you it, it's really hard to see the differences between that level and the tour at times. And, and you get players who've who, who've been very good. Their confidence has dropped off a bit. Uh, they're looking to pick up some matches. And you often see the players who've, who've been strong on that Challenger Tour, who've won a load, who come in with confidence and they can really make a a run on the tour because you need to be good to put a lot of matches back to back to back-to-back on the tour get that confidence so it's a uh, but bottom line is you need to be good enough if you're gonna make that transition
0: and talking about winning back-to-back matches on the tour he won more than back-to-back matches at Wimbledon he was able to make it through to manic Monday so does he possess perhaps a bigger challenge for Murray than we might have thought in the first place
1: well Murray's an, an unknown quantity at, at the moment so um, it's certainly a, a match a match of interest and yeah when you have when you come with with that sort of confidence, it's invaluable. I think it's yeah, worth looking out for.
0: And he is, of course, uh, one of a number of Americans on the tour. It's been a quite few years in terms of right at the very top end of ATP World Tour tennis for the Americans, but they've got so many coming through. Who, who are your players that you really like? And, and do you see any of them going to the very top?
1: So, somebody, one of these young players is going to, aren't they? And I think um, you've know, talked about him. Francis Tierfo got a title early this year. Very strong, explosive. Um, good to see Taylor Fritz playing some better tennis recently as well. I think he he moved up the rankings and then and perhaps needed to to just work on a couple more things and then build his confidence uh, up again. But, you know, when when you get a batch of players, they will push each other and someone will rise out of it. It's Not always obvious, but for, for me at the moment, those two are, are probably are the ones I'd be keeping an eye on.
0: Well, we've been talking a lot about American tennis players, and one of the greatest Americans to take to the tennis court is Jim Currier. Justin Gimbalstop took the opportunity to catch up with the four-time Grand Slam champion to get his views on the state of the tour.
2: A nice opportunity for us to catch up with one of the legends of the game, former world number one, Jim Courier. Jim, thank you for joining ATP World Tour Uncovered. I know you're still involved in the sport in every possible way, especially American tennis. How do you view the state of American tennis currently? I think it's a very exciting time. First of all, we have an established group of veterans, and then we have this younger generation as well. They're starting to peek in. Guys like Francis Tiafoe who's won a title already, Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, and there's been a lot of investment in American tennis and we're seeing some really nice return on that investment now and there's more to come. What about Shapovalov? I mean that's uh, an incredible talent, his breakthrough at the Rogers Cup last year. Canada is, uh, is really incredible, uh, huh? I mean with Felix Auger, Aliassime and now Shapovalov, they have two amazing young talents that are popping up with confidence. I mean Shapovalov is such a, an artist on the court. I mean the way that he moves around, it, his flexibility on the court, it, it's really fun to watch. And then Felix, at a very young age, has power to burn. Really wonderful technique. A thirst for the spotlight, which is wonderful. He's not afraid of it. You know, he seems to like the big moments. And that's something that is hard to teach. So there's a lot to like about where the future of men's tennis is going. You were number one in the world. Who I can will barely be the remember. Next? <laughs> Who will be the next new number one player on the Jeez, World Tour. you know, that's such a tricky question, right? Um, because could Juan Martin Del Potro? Could he all of a sudden make a run? I mean, we certainly know he can win majors, so it's a fascinating parlor game. Who do you think? I think it is Del Potro. I mean, he's one of the guys who's been able to beat the big guys in the biggest moments and has the big weapons and has won a major before, and it's be an amazing story. What's the state of the ATP World Tour in terms of the quality on the court? I think it's fantastic. I've really enjoyed... Uh, watching closely the way that the game has developed and grown, led by Roger and Rafa and Novak and Andy's leadership off the court, as well as their on-court leadership. They've been you know, very uh, wise about using their power to try and, and make everything better for all the players, not just themselves. So there's been a selflessness from these great players that has helped grow the tour, make it so much healthier and more viable around the world. I love the new generation, the next-gen coming up as well. There's a lot to like there, and it's not just the Americans. There's a lot of international players of intrigue um, that are popping up that seem like they're ready to try and do something special. and, and mean, Chung won the next-gen last year in Milan God, and God, it backs God. it up again to the semis of the Australian oh. Open. Well, that was such a catalyst for him. Winning winning in the, the, the Milan championships for him was a springboard that got him the confidence to do so well in Australia. I mean, he will open up... marketplace in in South Korea for sure and he's going to be a big star, already is a big star. Then you have Sasha Zverev who's so professional and has so much upside potential still looking to put it all together but he's a marketer's dream. He's going to be as good as he can be and there's nothing that's going to stop him from from that mindset. You have players like Kyrgios who brings in a different audience because he's so effusive and and effervescent on the court and he's also just a different character. He, He can also be a bit of a bad boy. You know, fans need players to love, they need players to get attached to, and they also need players to root against. We have a nice collection of players that, that will spark that interest. I think the tour is going to be very healthy for a long time. Well, Jim, thank you for spending time with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, my man.
0: Fascinating, as always, from Jim. He's never wanted to sit on the fence, unlike some people sat beside <laughs> me here in the commentary box. But uh, do you agree with him that Delpo is the person who will challenge for that number one spot?
1: Most likely. I mean, he was looking You know, after that uh after the the u.s run earlier this year he was wasn't too far off in in terms of points and uh was talking about missing the clay court season i just wonder you know if that affected his scheduling if he decided to play because he wasn't far off but you know he's beaten the big names he's won the big tournaments look what he did in, in uh at wimbledon really pushed nadal so yeah pretty, i think so if you if you had to pick the next one it's 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 probably him
0: So many things to decide in the next few weeks. Who's going to possibly be world number one come the end of the US Open Series? Who's going to claim those titles over the next few weeks? But just before we finish today, we're going to return to Hamburg as we want to share something special with you. The International Tennis Hall of Fame has a new member and it's Hamburg Tournament Director Michael Stick. In his at times emotional speech, the former Wimbledon champion reveals why he loves this sport so much.
3: When I went to Wimbledon, obviously, three things happened that were um, very important to me, two mostly very important. The first thing, when I first stepped on center court, um, and a lot of the guys here obviously know that, is you had that wooden beam where it has that little saying of uh, Ron Kipling's um, poem where it says, like, if you meet with uh, triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. It just gave me the understanding, especially at Wimbledon, but on any court in the world, that you can only be a respectful and true tennis player, no matter if you win or lose, if you show that respect to your opponent, winning and losing. And um, that really changed my approach competing in general. I always wanted to win. I always went out there and wanted to win my match, but it made me understand um, that on that court at Wimbledon, on the center court, 100 years before I went there, Everyone walked by that and everyone had the same understanding. If you walk on the tennis court and it's on the centre court, you have to accept the fact you might be losing. And it's a very important lessons, lesson you get taught because it happens more often than you want it to happen. But uh, that really influenced also the career from then on. And uh, I always try to, to be respectful to everyone around. I try to treat everyone uh, as, as the same and respectful as possible. And I was not always the best guy on tennis court. I was not always the best behaving guy on the tennis court. I could argue very much with a chair umpire and not be happy at all with his decisions. But it was always someone who walked after the match to the chair umpire and said, I'm sorry. You know, I was a little bit out of line, but uh, it has to happen. It has to happen to show emotions. And uh, I think that made made our generation so special as well. And the ones before, I think we were able to show the emotion. We were able to show uh, frustration, happiness and all that kind of things that is missing a little bit these days where you feel like the players have so much to give, they're such great athletes and champions but I want to see them be angry, I want to see them be happy, I want to get something across. I want to, I want to be emotionally involved with all those players. And the second thing was after I won Wimbledon and, uh, uh, in 92, the first year it happened, I came to the locker room at Wimbledon and uh, Fred Perry was standing in the locker room and obviously I knew who Fred Perry was and uh, I was a little bit uh, insecure if I should go up or what what I should do. So he came up to me and he took my hand and uh, he gave me a speech for about five to seven minutes that I'm a great tennis player, I did a great job in 91, I can do it again. And it became a ritual. Like every year I went to Wimbledon after that, um, first guy to meet on the first day was Fred Perry. And uh, it just showed me that no matter what generation you're in, and no matter what you've done or what you've achieved, it's, it's about the people you meet. It's about how we um, treat each other and how we respect each other and how we go along with each other. And that is the great thing about our sport and about, about tennis, that it's not all about winning or losing. It's about the people that make all that possible and the people that are behind the scenes, the people that are on the court, that make you feel secure and at home. And this is over generations. And if I look back, I went to the champion's dinner in Wimbledon and I uh, was sitting there and all of a sudden the son comes up to me and says, well, I'm the son of law of Jean Boroutras, who was the oldest living champion at that champion's dinner. He wanted to introduce me to Jean Boroutras, so he takes me to the table and he says, well, that I want to introduce to Michael Stich. And Jean Beautra gets up and looks at me and says, who are you? And I was not mad at him. It was okay. Um, but it's just those special moments, occasions that I remember more than match results or scores that I have achieved. and that is the same when you come here. It's not about so much about obviously a special result or a special score that that I've achieved. It's about the overall view on this um, on this sport and when I retired in '97, and as it was pointed out, I had a short career. I more or less just played 10 years. Um, but when I retired in Wimbledon in '97 with the last match in the semifinals, and I took off, and I have to say after that day, I didn't touch a tennis record for five years. I really put it away to realize what else is out there in the world. And I thought like you would be missing tennis, and you would be missing all that surrounding the sport. The most thing I missed were the players the guys that I used to travel with around the whole year. Not being friends with all of them, but having great relationships with Jim, for example, with Todd as well, and people you could speak to, and all the other guys, and they're ones I didn't like, obviously as well, but um, I missed those guys. I missed missed having them around and, and being part of that group of players that make that sport so great. And that's why I'm so thankful to be inducted this year and having the opportunity to be part of this again in a different way, but in a very special way, um, also with all the different generations that are part of the Hall of Fame. And also I know it comes along with the responsibility to give back and uh, promote the game of tennis and promote the sport and go out there and tell people how great this is, what we can do and how great it is for the coming generations, that it's worth really trying hard and never giving up. And uh, as long as we have the respect and the loyalty towards institutions like this and towards our fellow players, and I think that's something we have to teach the young generations a little bit more, that there is a very important to have respect and loyalty out there. I think uh, this sport will be great over the next decades to come, and I promise oh, I'll do my best um, to be part of this and to help this and uh, make this happen. Thank you very much.
0: So, Michael Stick there, sort of highlighting one of the reasons why he plays this great sport—not always for the sport itself, but for the people that are involved in the sport.
1: I think that's the case with so many things, isn't it? But you do see it in the locker room; the, the guys come back, and you know where they talk about matches they had, and uh, and it's been fascinating at times to, to to hear about that. What gets put out is not always what what the players felt behind the scenes, but absolutely the the people and what's gone on behind the scenes are, are all a big part of it.
0: And of course, he did a great job at the German Tennis Championships his last year of being the tournament director. So it was Nicholas Basilashvili who picked up the 500 series title in Hamburg. Meanwhile, join us next week when we'll look back on the City Open in Washington and looking ahead to the Rogers Cup in Toronto, as well as the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. Please do check out our Twitter feed at ATP Tennis Radio, where we'll be bringing you exclusive interview content every week. And if you have the time, why not leave us a review of this podcast on iTunes to help us climb up those rankings. Enjoy the tennis.